It's Memorial Day. It's time to get out of town and get on the water. This summer, gear up for the fish, the food, and the family. Cabela's Memorial Day Sale. Family events, amazing deals. Your one stop before the campfire. Save $200 on Champion Patriot Generators. $100 on Select Kayaks. And get Cabela's Adult and Youth Deluxe Flotation Vests for just $9.99. Plus, come in and celebrate our hometown heroes event. See store for details. Shop in-store and online at cabelas.com. Welcome to the Race Haven Radio Show and Podcast. Your source for solutions-focused dialogue about race in America. With your host, Scott Speed. Welcome to the Race Haven Podcast. This is Solutions Focused Radio about race relations in America. My name is Dr. Scott, excuse me, Solutions Focused Dialogue about race relations in America. My name is Dr. Scott Speed, and I am, a, I am the facilitator of the dialogue. Today, I am joined by Akila S. Richards. Akila is a writer, digital nomad, and unschooling podcaster. How are you doing today, Akila? I am great, Scott, and I'm so, so happy to be here and to meet your folks and to chat with you. I am ecstatic about you being here and the Race Haven (laughs) community getting a chance to meet one of the most fascinating people that I've had an opportunity to to meet uh, in the last few months, and I'm just just happy. I I feel like I I know her, um, even though we probably, (laughs) you know, met, uh, we've only met by phone. And, um, you know, we, we've talked and I've been a guest on her podcast. You'll hear a little bit more about that during the show. But it's one of those things where when you meet someone and, you know, their ideals and, and their movement and their mission and everything about them just resonates with you, you just feel like an instant kinship. Uh, I'm speaking for myself. I'm not speaking for Akilah, but this is how, you know, I felt, you know, and just reading about her and listening to her podcast shows and then have an opportunity to talk to her and then talk to her again on her show is like, man, this is, this is uh, my sister, man. So I'm excited to, uh, again, introduce her to all of you and for us to chop it up a little bit. So with that being said, Akilah, could you tell the Race Haven community a little bit more about who you are? And, you know, a, a brief bio before, you know, I start digging a little bit to pull some other things out, but just a high level, you know, introduction. Sure. I'm a writer, first and foremost. So essentially, I um, farm my experiences, I write them out, and then I find spaces to share that writing. And um, over the past few years of my life, that writing has shown up the most in books, in um, essays that I sell to other publications. And then also in my podcast, as you mentioned, Scott, um, I do a podcast called Fear of the Free Child that really focuses on people of color in self-directed education. So unschoolers, world schoolers, people who run um, agile learning centers and democratic schools and that sort of thing, addressing the unique voice and narratives of black and brown folks in that space. That's really what's been taking up most of my writing attention over the past few years. Awesome. So <clears throat> before we get into the interview and slash dialogue, I want to um, 
tell our listeners how we met because I think it's pretty cool. Um, yeah. So, so the way that uh, Akila and I met, I was actually meeting with um, some some business associates and friends in Atlanta um, at a, a tea shop called Just Add Just Add Honey Tea Company, and we have a, a mastermind meeting there once a month. And during that meeting, um, you know, we were there and we and we left. <laughs> That's pretty much the long and short of that. When I got home and got to my computer, um, there's a a group on Facebook called Cash Mob ATL. And it's a Facebook group that supports and promotes African-American-owned businesses in Atlanta. So uh, someone promoted Just Add Honey Tea Company, uh, you know, posted something about Just Add uh, Add Honey. So I just got on that post and I just commented and said, you know, it's a great place, great owners. Uh, The owner is a friend of mine. um, And, you know, it's a great place. And I didn't, you know, so I just put that there and just left it there. Just wanted to kind of, you know, um, just add to the promotion. So then uh, someone underneath of my post said, I think I saw you there today. And I don't know what called her. I, you know, I just think the universe works that way. The law of attraction. I don't know what called this woman yeah. to want to comment, you know, on my post just to say she saw me. But what happened was the woman's name is Leslie Bray. And Leslie just says she saw me. I didn't see Leslie, but she saw me. And I'm so glad she did. And I'm so glad she let me know. So what I did was I just hovered over her profile, her name to see her profile. And I saw that she was uh, the owner of a, a group called the, um, help me out really quick, Akil, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, Kid Cultivators. The name of, there we go. Kid Cultivators yeah. uh, Homeschooling, Homeschooling Community. Yeah. Or, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so what a lot of my listeners may not know is that I have been working on starting a school for several years now. I've been working on it in my mind for many years since college. I started putting ideas on paper finally in 2012. And then in 2015, I started, I partnered with someone and we started really putting, uh, you know, ideas down and and taking steps forward to making it a reality. So when I saw that, I was instantly interested because uh, the school that we want to start falls in line with, um, you know, the unschooling, homeschooling, democratic, agile learning, Montessori, et cetera, et cetera, various alternatives to traditional education. So I said, wow, you know, kid cultivator unschooling. That's, that was right up my, right up my alley. So I went onto her page and I started scrolling down and finding all these goodies on her page. And I'm like, cool. I get to network. She's in Atlanta, <laughs> get to connect with her. And then one of the goodies that I saw was a video um, that was there by the Alliance of Self-Directed Education. I had never heard of the Alliance of Self-Directed Education. And they had this video explaining self-directed education. I was like, jackpot. Yes, this is it. This is everything. And there's a whole website with tools and resources about self-directed education. So I don't have to articulate it and I can point people. I'm sorry, if I have trouble articulating what it is or people may not, you know, think that I'm talking about something foreign, I can point them to this resource so that they can see there's a whole community, there's resources, there's, you know, evidence and, you know, uh, research behind this methodology. And then I scrolled down a little further and I saw a beautiful woman with dreads and a great smile that was talking about self-directed education on the Alliance's website, but it was a video just of her. And under that picture, I'm sorry, under that video, it said Akila S. Richards. So I watched the video and then I followed the trail to Akila S. Richards (laughs) page. And I saw that she had a page on Facebook 
and she had something called the Fair of the Fair of the Free Child podcast that focused on unschooling for people of color. And I've listened to the podcast, and you know, I just again continue to travel down that rabbit hole, listen to the podcast, <laughs> and I felt and I fell in love with Akila right there. I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm not like, I'm not like on an island. Cause sometimes, you know, I felt like I was on an island in terms of the work I was doing in this space and in terms of the work I was doing in the self-directed education space. And in Atlanta, I hadn't met very many people at all that, you know, believe in, in, in this methodology or understand it or have done the research, et cetera. So when I learned about Leslie and then I learned about Akila and I learned about, you know, all these various things, I was just so excited. And I instantly, after listening to her podcast, I was like, oh my goodness, I had never heard anyone speak to it in this way from an, from a perspective of someone of African descent. It was just, it was just magical. She was the first person, you know, and I've read a lot of books. I've done uh, a lot of research, but it always came from, you know, uh, a person of European descent, you know, perspective. Akila was the first person giving voice to this uh, as an African-American. I'm sorry, I, I'm not someone of African descent. And she'll tell you in a second, mm-hmm. you know, her ethnicity. But um, with that being said, I called her because she has her phone number on her website. I was going to send her a message <laughs> just to tell her uh, I fell in love with her and her work. And I said, you know what? She left her number. I'm going to get this lady a call. <laughs> so I called her and I left a message and I just told her, you know, who I am and what I'm, what I'm doing and how I felt like we could, we should connect. And, and the rest is history. So we got on the phone and then we, you know, we vibed and, um, you know, and here we are. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we've connected with one another uh, several times through, you know, through email. And of course I've been on her show and, you know, she's introduced me to more people and et cetera. I've met people through listening to her show. I mean, it's just the, the amount of good stuff that has happened since I found Akila. it would take the whole podcast for me to explain. So I'll just leave it there for now. And um, love it. I just, I just love sharing that story. So, um, so I guess, you know, I, I want to jump into, cause, because this is a show about, you know, race relations, I always start out by asking people a little bit about their back, their background in terms of race relations. So, Akila, what is your ethnicity and where did you grow up? I grew up in Jamaica, so I'm Jamaican. Um, Yeah, and I left Jamaica when I was 10, moved to the States, but I call myself Black. I'm both Black and Jamaican. Okay, and how did did your upbringing uh, impact your views on race relations. Um, how, let me ask you this before I, so I could be a little bit more specific. When did you move yeah. to the United States? The United States. I was ten, so like okay. 1988, something like that. Yeah. Okay, because I know that you know from having friends that um, grew up in Jamaica and other places in the Caribbean, I know that their experience um, in terms of the idea of race and and various, you know, the the system of race. I'll, I'll put it like that uh, is a lot different. Mm-hmm. And when they come to the United States, it's like totally different. Um, so could you just give a little perspective uh, on your sure. views on race growing up versus what you saw when you came to the United States and how that may have evolved? Yeah, yeah. And so interestingly, um, maybe because of proximity, the U.S. and Jamaica, there are very similar um, perspectives of race as it relates to uh, the socioeconomic aspect of Black, you know, Africans, people of African descent, Black Africans typically being on the lower end of the socioeconomic spectrum than white. 
who are, you know, from that same country, similar to the U.S., a white American versus a black American. Um, but what was very different is that in Jamaica, classism is definitely, and colorism, those two for sure uh, were the things that were most prominent for me growing up. Also considering the fact that it was the first 10 years of my life versus teenage years and adulthood, my perspectives are very different. Um, I've had the privilege to of living in Jamaica as an adult and can speak to that as well. But um, when I first lived there, it was colorism. So the lighter your skin was, essentially the closer you were to, you know, to the European Jamaicans, the, the, the Syrian Jamaicans, the Chinese Jamaicans, all of these different um, types of Jamaicans, the closer you were to that spectrum aesthetically, then the better job opportunities you had, uh, the more beautiful you were considered as well at the basic level, um, and the more you were pushed into non you know, just not into, you had a broader set of options for your life. If you had straighter, longer hair, a straighter nose, your skin was lighter, because that usually meant your family lived in a certain part of Jamaica where you could put that address on an application and be sure to get a call back, that sort of thing. Um, When I moved to the U.S., yeah, and then when I moved to the U.S., I saw those things. But more than that, I saw, oh, we we were living in the South. We were in Florida at the time. But driving to places like Georgia, you knew that there were certain places you couldn't stop because of the fact that you were Black. It didn't matter whether you were educated or not, but because of your skin and your hair, you would be targeted. You know, I started to see that specific thing a lot more when I moved to the States, so that all of that shaped um, how I see myself and how I know that other parts of the, the world see me, you know, and what that means in the context of, of all the places I go and all the things I want to do. Wow. That's, that's amazing uh, perspective. When you say that it shapes the way the world in your mind, I guess at that age or in your adolescence, you shaped the way the world saw you. What could you give voice to that? Mm -hmm. What in your mind, how did you think the world saw you? Well, a lot of it was based on the, the actual experiences that I had. So from the, the aesthetic factor, you know, you would have the typical thing you hear a lot of black women say this, um, People would say, oh, you're so pretty to be a dark-skinned girl. You know, um, all different sorts of Black people and brown people said that. That typically wasn't a white thing. I also saw that it seemed to me, especially once I started school here, um, white people tended to be surprised by how I spoke. You know, and then they're like, oh, okay, you're not American. You know, as if like a Black American, there was this idea that – Caribbean people, Black Caribbean people were better somehow than Black American people. Um, I even remember my mother talking a lot about how uh, Black Americans at the jobs she would have would, um, in some cases, she was physically abused, but definitely verbally saying, oh, you're Jamaicans, you try to come here and take all the jobs because you sound British, you know, they think you're smarter, like those sort of things. Um, those are some of the things that I, that I saw in terms of how I was viewed outside of my own lens. Interesting. Um, you, you, you mentioned colorism and classism and, um, those, those distinctions, uh, and that level of nuance, uh, when you're talking about the system of race, um, I think is important. And I'm glad you brought those up because in America, what I've seen as I've become more aware is that those lines often get blurred and they get kind of bunched together as racism. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, classism, you know, is something 
I mean, it's real. And it, and it happens to, you know, people of, of all ethnicities in my experience and what I've seen, uh, even, you know, enter like within certain, you know, uh, ethnic, ethnic groups and communities, there's classism and also there's colorism even within, you know, certain ethnic groups in addition to, you know, the dynamic of, you know, the, in America where European, uh, Americans or Americans of European descent are the majority in population, um, those things get perpetuated, uh, just through what's called, you know, white normalcy or, or whiteness, um, and I think it's interesting that you mentioned it and that you saw uh, those things in Jamaica. But what I, I, what I think I'm hearing also is that you didn't experience the, I guess, the sense of fear around being a different eth- ethnicity. Uh, you didn't sense the, or, or looking different or a different class. And you also didn't sense the, the, the violence um, maybe in, the, in, in Jamaica as it was, or the, the, I guess the error or of potential violence and and that you should be fearful because of the way you looked in your ethnic background. You didn't necessarily feel that in Jamaica, but when you got to the United States, uh, that was a part of the culture here. Exactly. Yes, absolutely. That's absolutely true. And that's been my experience with talking to people from Caribbean countries. Uh, Yes, there is classism and colorism and and forms of racism, but it just doesn't have that same venom and violence and, you know, the fear, especially when it comes to uh, the relationship with, um, you know, uh, African-Americans with the state in terms of the police. Um, Exactly. Exactly. Because that's the main factor there, that feeling of, um, justice, you know, whether justice applies to you or not, um, mm-hmm. those sort of things that, that show up very differently, even, even nationally, even if you talk about different parts of the U.S., you know, you have a different feeling, as I said, riding through certain parts of the South, you know, right. than you would in maybe parts of the Midwest, like that sort of thing. And so when these, these all of these things intersect, too, because, of course, you're not, you know, there's sexism. And as we said, there's colorism, there are all of these different things that intersect. And so the more they're piled upon each other, which I think for me just was really magnified once I moved to the U.S., then you can really start to, for me, it's an opportunity to really define your identity for yourself. Because if you continue to do it based on all of the ways that people see you, you're lost. There's no actual you. There's just like perceptions of you. Right. So let me ask you this. When you said at the beginning, um, you know, your your podcast and your writing and uh, t- typically centers uh, your podcast for sure. I'm not sure if your writing always does, but I know your podcast centers people of color. And then you said black and brown people. Could you tell me what that means to you when you say people of color, when you say black and brown people, who are those people? I just mean anybody who's not white. Okay. Anyone. Yeah, just anyone. Yeah, anyone who's not white. Yeah. Yeah. And and really, even more specifically than anyone who identifies as black or brown and another uh, synonym for brown, um, sometimes that's Latinx, you know, that's used interchangeably. But I also mean indigenous folks, you know, who may not um, identify as brown. So anyone who identifies as any of those things, you know, that's usually who will find the space useful or understands those identifications because I also have a lot of white listeners who want to understand more the you know the specifics of the experiences of people of color 
in and outside of self-directed education and they get a chance to do that because people who identify as those things are usually who I'm talking to on the podcast. Okay. So let me share with you how I've grown through this work and um, you and our listeners, uh, I think it'd be a good time to kind of contrast uh, everything you said. I think that's pretty much what most people, um, most people would uh, identify those terms as uh, for me, when I started Race Haven, I started this group, a uh, Facebook group in 2014, uh, in the fall of 2014, and I started the podcast um, in Jan- January of last year, um, of so t- 2016. And, but in between that time, uh, when I started the Facebook group, it was literally just to have a, a place for people uh, across, across, you know, ethnic lines about the various race-related issue, hot-button issues that ke- kept hitting uh, the news cycle, and you know where I always saw a lot of divisiveness being you know around these issues. I wanted to create mm-hmm. a space where people could c- bring their curiosity, uh, bring their their perceptions, and talk across lines to get a better understanding of how you know we see these things. Uh, because I didn't think that you know we were as divided as people as the media portrayed, um, or you know. So yeah, so that's what I wanted to create a space like that. So through that, you know. People started, you know, in addition to the dialogues, it also became a place where people would post articles and, you know, documentaries and just research and various, various things. So my level of of understanding, the depths of understanding around, you know, the systems of race and systemic racism and colorism and classism and all these various things has grown immensely in the last two and a half years. And one of the things that, um, you know, and you and I have had this conversation maybe offline um, I'm not sure if we talked about it on, a, on the podcast I did with you about why I no longer um, use terms like black and white people. And mm-hmm. when I hear people of color, that really, you know, that really doesn't feel right to me. And the interesting thing is um, I literally just started writing like a blog post or something about people of color uh, the other day. I didn't post it yet, but it mm-hmm. feels like, like we are intentionally othering uh, ourselves uh, when people use those terms. And then it hit me. I said, you know what? I now, because I, I also said, like, where did that come from? Because I don't remember people of color being a common, you know, uh, you know, thing that was said or a way to describe groups of people who weren't uh, of European descent. And then, and then it hit me. I said, you know what? You, people of color has taken the place of minorities. And then it hit me. And I said, you know what? I, I've, I've heard people push back against minority because in their mind, the way they perceive it is not in terms of population numbers, they perceive it as less than. So I think that enough people started to perceive the term minority as meaning less than Americans of European descent, that they got away from using it. So I guess the talking heads and the, you know, the writers like yourself and, and others, you know, got away from using minority for those reasons. And now, it's been substituted with people of color. But when I hear people of color, it makes me feel like, you know, back in the day when they called, you know, African people, colored people. Um, and, and that just doesn't feel right to me. And then what ultimately brought this home for me in terms of not even all of that about people of color, but the whole idea of calling people colors, period, is when I, you know, began to do research and I'm sorry, be exposed to the research and then dig deeper of the origins of race in itself. Because I would, I would assume like most people, I just thought race was, it was just, it is what it is. It's always been around and it's just a thing. And that's how we separate and define people. And when I learned about scientific racism 
And I learned about, you know, the idea of race being instituted in society, um, you know, and the ways that it was done. Um, it, it totally, I, I just said, you know what, I don't want to perpetuate that anymore. So I'm going to reject that because race was instituted in society based on the things I've learned. Um, and I'll post a link in the show notes of, for this documentary where these sociologists and historians talk about, you know, race. It's a, it's a documentary called Race, the Power of an Illusion. Race is literally an illusion. Um, you know, we have our ethnic backgrounds and we have our nationalities, but the idea of race that was instituted in society to perpetuate white supremacy. It was instituted in society to perpetuate the idea that people of European descent were superior to other ethnic groups and from people from other, you know, places in the world. And I no longer wanted to perpetuate that. So that's why I personally made the choice to stop using uh, those terms. And so what I, what I try to do whenever I get a chance, if anyone act, well, first of all, I just, I just speak it. And then if anyone asks, or obviously if I'm speaking on this platform, I like to, you know, share that information um, and just kind of put it out there, not with the intent that other people have to adopt, you know, what I've adopted, but I like to put it out there. So, uh, Akilah, do you have any thoughts on kind of my thought process and how I got there? You don't have to. I'm yeah. Just, I'm just <laughs> no, it's cool. Um, and, you know, we have, as you mentioned, talked a little bit about this offline before, and um, I definitely, when I went to college, I went to a historically black college, Clark Atlanta University. And um, one of the many, many benefits of being in an HBCU was the nurturing and the encouragement to really dive into uh, the history of America, the history of black folks in America, um, and before America even, and some of the constructs around, you know, how we live and, and how laws are made and that sort of thing. So I definitely came across that research as well as we um, kind of chatted about before, Scott. And I, um, I value the information and I can, for me, it's not, a, it's not a one or the other thing. I can see how someone can come to the point that you came to. And of course, obviously, I can also see where someone can come to the point that I come to, which is based on me, Akila. First of all, I have no problem with being an other. You know, when you talk about othering ourselves, like being there, there are a lot of things that make me other. It's it's okay. Like it's completely okay for me to be different in some ways and similar in some ways and still identify as whatever it is that's connected to my history, um, my understanding, my knowledge of myself and my people, the culture that I. Um, used to in part to define who and how I am and how I live, how I raise children, um, you know, how I eat, how I communicate with other people, all of these things that make up our personal culture and then the culture we span out into. Um, for me, the idea of Blackness isn't something that is antithetical to anything, po antithetical, sorry, to anything positive in that. It's a wonderful part of who and how I am and how I see myself and what I'm connected to. And it, for me, it doesn't warrant any um, uh, validation outside of that feeling and knowing for me. So I'm okay with someone else being, you know, coming from a different space with it. You, you don't have to identify as Black. It's cool. <laughs> right. Well, I, I appreciate that perspective. Yeah. And, I, and I'm glad you said one thing because it allows me to go a little bit deeper because um, – you know, and as you said, you know, I, I was, as I said, I actually, I said it already, so I don't have to reiterate that I don't try to change people, um, you know, their mm -hmm. thoughts on it, but I definitely respect and understand. And even so, you know, with coming up in the whole idea of uh, black pride and 
being proud to be black and all these things and even black colleges. My whole family went to Florida and M university. Like when I say whole family, mm -hmm. I mean, literally I'm going to a graduation this weekend. There probably hasn't been a four year period. I have not been to a Florida and M graduation in my entire life. <laughs> so, wow. So um, I'm talking about grandfather, mom, dad, aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters, cousins, distant. I mean, the whole length, but anyway, um, so with that being said, you know, the, the camaraderie and the culture that's been around built around the idea of being black. Um, I can see why that is, you know, hell near and dear to people's hearts. Um, but one of the things I wanted to tease out because I think that a lot of people not saying you, but I think a lot of people, when they hear me say that, they think that I'm, they, they may think, they may think that I'm, I'm saying that we have to give up on, you know, our culture and the things that make us unique and that those things can't still be valued. Um, and I, I don't think that I, I think that, um, just again, the way that history has unfolded and the damage that the ideals of white supremacism uh, have done to all people, even European people, um, it's impacted us all just in different ways. Uh, the damage that's been done by the ideals of white supremacism, um, I want to get away from all of that. And I believe that it doesn't mean that we have to give up our heritage and our differences. When I say other, I just mean literally other within the system that white, white supremacism uh, structure, which says that there's European people and there's everyone else. And every it's in so many like subversive ways and, you know, subconscious ways, um, you know, blackness has been other in a negative way when it comes to social uh, equity and when I see someone and I'm in my mind, it's like, if you're, if I'm an African-American, meaning I'm a, a, a person who is of African descent and my nationality is American or my citizenship currently is American and you're a European person of European descent and your citizen, et cetera, is American, we're on equal playing ground. There's no, there's no system that was built around difference and otherness socially, economically, politically around that, that 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 framework whether it be you know an irish american if we want to drill down or a jamaican american of african descent or you know a nigerian american of african descent or you know um german american like when we are talking about literally where we're from eth our ethnicity um and, and our you know our ethnic background as well as our you know maybe nationality and we are all on that equal playing field you know mexicans and you know mexican americans et cetera et cetera et cetera um, I feel like that's an equal playing field that hasn't been muddy. It hasn't been politicized. It hasn't been stereotyped. Whoa, it hasn't been... wait, but you're saying geography, you're saying where, we've, where we're from hasn't been politicized and stereotyped and affected by policy and politics and all of those things. Is that what you're saying? Um, maybe, and I'm darn sure maybe wrong. So I'm just thinking out loud. Um, so yeah, yeah, I want you to add, I want you to come back with that. Yeah, let me make, I'm going to make the final me. point. No, that's perfect. Yeah, that's okay. perfect. So let me bring my final point home and I want you to definitely share okay. what comes to you with what I'm saying. Um, okay. and so with that being said, when I think about that and I'm, and I'm glad you said that because for me, everything is a thought, it's a thought exercise. You know, I'm thinking out loud and I like talking to other thoughtful I totally people. I what you're saying. Okay. Yes, same here Perfect. completely. That's why I said it in the moment, because mm -hmm. I know that's what we're doing. Just as you're talking about what's coming up for you, that's what came up for me. Yeah. So Perfect. Cool. So long story short, 
I'll, I'll bring it home with this. So for me, getting away from the white black thing, it just, it just means I'm getting away from all of the negativity. And again, all of the, all of the nonsense and junk that has been built within society up until this point in history behind the idea that there's quote unquote white people, which I've never seen a white person in my life, the color of paper and a black person. I've never seen a black person, the color of my tires in my life. Um, so it's just like this whole idea that there's white people and black people, which isn't real scientifically or biologically, but the only reason that white people exist is because of the false power and the false ideals that were built on that, on that construct. And that's what I speak against, what I'm trying to speak against. So please share what comes to you with all that that I shared. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, the, there are two things. The first thing that comes up, it feels a lot like, um, or it looks a lot from, from my perspective, like this focus on the white gaze, you know, as if the, the same principle for me, what you're saying runs parallel to that argument that if we stop talking about um, race so much that racism would end as if race is the problem. No, race isn't the problem. People's perspectives, specifically a set of people who are in power who tend to dehumanize and otherwise oppress other people who are not that complexion or, or of that, um, that historical context or whatever the thing is, that reality exists. And so for me, I, don't, I can decide to focus on that and say, you know, I have a problem with white people, you know, and develop a prejudice around it. Or I can say, okay, outside of all of those systems, who do I see myself as? What am I connected to? What do I see myself as part of? How do I define me in all aspects, gender and all of that included? And to make my relationships, my work, my, connected to, my connectedness to myself and all people um, come through that knowing and that, and not focus on whether or not somebody sees me as less than and more than. So for me to, to try to take away black, because that's what I'm focused on. I'm not focused on black or white. I'm specifically talking about black because it's a part of my identity to entertain or to see the value in, um, removing that shifts my focus very much towards a white a white gaze for me because it's in comparison to whiteness and I don't care about it in comparison to whiteness because it exists outside of that. Um, and then the second thing is the, the aspect of if we replace that thing of blackness or whiteness or whatever with where you're from, then certainly historically and certainly now where you're from, there's a lot of labeling and decision-making and prejudice uh, that are in, influenced very heavily by media and even your family history. Because even when we talk about within a country, you know, you have uh, people of different tribes or cultures who've been at war for years, you know, maybe even centuries. Um, and then you go outside of countries and you have that even more. Those things um, box people in as well. So it really is a matter of each person, to me, deciding that's why it's totally fine if you don't identify um, as Black when you don't believe in the idea of Black versus white. To me, the more important question is, who are you? What are you doing with whatever it is that you believe? And if we're focused on that and we're developing and we're accountable and we're community-centered, then 
we focus so much less on the differences and we just look at the different ways that we want to work and play together. And I don't think that is exclusive. My, I don't think my blackness is in the way of that at all. I appreciate you adding that because, <clears throat> you know, as, as you drill down deeper and everything you said, I agree with 100 um, percent, because it, when I drill down on my thoughts even further, I always end up at I, I think that it's about individuals like we should, you know, when I speak about the whole thing about the ethnicities in my mind, that's only necessary when you have to when generalizing is necessary for whatever reason. Um, but what it always mm-hmm. boils down to me when I'm when I'm kind of ha- when I've had this conversation with other people. I, I always say that, you know, I think of you as your name first, like you as an individual, you know, I'll call you your name first. And then if I have to generalize, that's when I jump up to, you know, African-Americans or European-Americans, et cetera. But I think it's important, like you said, to, you know, start with the individual and however, whoever that individual is and however they want to be identified, I think that's what's important. And just given that, lo- that, that, that level of respect and, you know, just mutual respect. Because for me, all this boils exactly. down to is relationships. You know, it all boils exactly. down to but one-to-one relationships. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. And there's a part of the one-to-one relationship for me too, and the respect aspect is um, accepting the person's definition of themselves. So the same thing comes up when we talk about gender. You know, Absolutely. where someone might say, Absolutely. "Yes, right, exactly." You see where I'm going. Of course, I respect you, but if you were born a male, then I'm gonna say you're a male. Blah blah. Your mom right, is right. call you Cleetie. Right, like, like that sort of thing. And to say, okay, yeah, that's one option. But also there's the other option of like, why are you threatened or, you know, or even should you be threatened or maybe whatever, why are you threatened by how I choose to define myself or to not define myself and to have that be something that you look at as well? Because, you know, who, who does it harm? You know what I'm, I'm saying? Gonna- I'm glad you said that because that's what it ultimately boils down to me uh, as like it's a person is whoever they want to identify themselves as like a person is whoever, because even the idea of in my mind, you know, again, when we're talking about race and ethnicity, you know, because of mix, you know, myth, mix, mixed ethnicities and, and et cetera, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and then also people look a certain way. They may have a certain skin tone, but they may identify a totally different way in terms of, you know, where they're from exactly. or, who, or the culture they grew yep. up in. So it's like, ultimately, all these titles and these labels are bunk. Really, they mean nothing. They're made up. And not only are they made up, but uh, unfortunately, they've been used as tools to divide and, to, and tools uh, for power for, for the few. You know, they've been used as tools to gain power, control, and fear, produce fear, et cetera, et cetera. It doesn't mean that they're bunk. It doesn't mean that they're invalid because they've been used. You know, because they've been used in negative ways, it doesn't mean that they're invalid because... We can have that same argument with religion, right? Mm -hmm. Of course, people do all of these different things in the name of religion, but it's arguable, certainly, whether religion is inherently right or wrong based on how people use it, you know, or money is another example. Of course, people use that for all types of horrific things, but does it mean that the system of currency is inherently wrong? You know, those things to me are debatable. So for me, I'm not saying that all of those things are bunk. I'm saying that they're relevant, dependent on the, the, and and that's the thing that I can respect without needing it to fit into what I believe. I like, I believe that across the board. So that doesn't, you know, so the same way that I would say that someone's gender, how I see them and how they see them 
it would be more important for me to understand how they see themselves than whatever box I decided when I first saw them. That same principle applies to everything. That's why, I, you know, Chris and I raise our children the way we do, that they own themselves, that they are going to direct the course. We're not going to direct them. Same thing if I'm approaching a Scott, then I know that I, don't, I wouldn't say to Scott, black man, whatever, because your identification of yourself is through a different lens. That's the information that I need. I don't need to agree with it. I don't need to even fully um, understand it, but it's what the regard that I hold you in and then also how I carry myself in the world, you know, is to be able to try to connect with people where they are and to place a value on what they see, not what I, you know, not what I need it to be. So thank you for unpacking what I meant by bunk. You said it in way more uh, elegantly and you unpacked it in a way that, (laughs) No, you unpacked it in a way that I totally agree with. And, you know, I mean, it's just powerful. Like language is so important. And, you know, you, we're on the same wavelength. That's the best way to say it. Like we're on the same, when I say it was bunk, I meant it in the way you just explained it in terms of, you know, in terms of, you know, not, not um, in the way that is currently used where we automatically have these perceptions of who people are and we group people Mm -hmm. in certain ways instead of meeting them where they are. And basically that's what you just said in terms of meeting people where they are and respecting where they are. And that's what I meant when I said it, I just didn't unpack it the way you did. And I appreciate you doing that. And what also okay. came to me and I'm, I'm glad you got over to gender because that something hit me just yesterday um, because I've been learning a lot about gender too, because you can't help when you get into these type of conversations, you're going to run across people that are going to give you that contrast and it, and it opens your mind and it makes sense. But the whole binary yeah. of, the whole binary of male and female as a kid growing up, that's all I knew. I, I, I just knew male, female. And now I realize that there's people don't, there's people that don't fall into that binary. There's people who don't yep. identify as male or female. They don't fall in that box. And that doesn't mean they're less human. That doesn't mean they're less people. That doesn't mean they don't deserve respect. And so there was a young, uh, a young person that I, that I was speaking to yesterday. And um, I, I, I would say that I assume I'll just, be honest. I said he, and it was a she. And, or, or let me say this. I said he, and her brother corrected me and said, I'm sorry, I said he, and her brother corrected me and said, uh, it's a she. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. You should have, you should have, you, you know, mm-hmm. corrected me. I said that to the young lady. She was dressed in a way that stereotypically, uh, uh, stereotypically, generally speaking, that a boy, that boys typically dress, and she had really low cut hair. So I couldn't tell. She was young. I just couldn't tell. So, mm-hmm. and in that moment, because of the space that I've been working in for the last two years plus with making myself more aware of these differences and other people, meeting people like yourself who, who are able to expose me, you know, to these differences, you know, I've, I've accepted it because at the core foundation of who I am, I love people. And I believe that every person deserves respect and equal humanity, respect and humanity. equally and equitably. So Mm -hmm. I don't get caught up in all the other things that, you know, you may see some people, we all see some people getting caught up in when someone doesn't fit in the box that we've been indoctrinated to think they should fit in. Because I realized that it's indoctrination. I realized that I never had a choice in a lot of these, these thoughts, they were just downloaded into me. So as an adult, I'm able to, to learn new things that are expanding my mind and expanding my, my reality. And here's the reality in the way I see it is that, there, I just, I've learned there are all different types of humans in this world. And it would be foolish of me to look at humans 
like try to put humans into categories because when I meet someone, that person may not fit in that category. So I have to remain open to who they are and let them manifest themselves in the world, whether they choose to communicate who it is to me or not, no matter how they manifest themselves in this world, I just have to respect it and show them the same level of love and respect that I would show anyone else. And, and, and also if I have the chance to be a voice to speak up for anyone who's trying to oppress that person across any of these various divides, whether it be religion or, you know, ethnicity or race or nationality or, or gender mm-hmm. or sexuality and, and the various, all these various things. So I just, I just want to say I'm, I've learned so much in the last two years that I didn't know before. And this is <laughs> one of those things. And it hit me yesterday, like, wow, I made an assumption. And even if I would have called her, she, that would have been an assumption too. She may exactly, not identify. Exactly. She may not even identify that yeah. she, and that's all I know to say. And and I'm gonna tell you where my head went. Yep. My head, my head literally went to, and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong in your your mind, but we may have to get rid of the same way I, I want to get rid of black and white. I'm like, we may have to get rid of he or she. I may just may have to start <laughs> just asking people like, you know, what's your name? And just instead of me yeah. saying he, she, and uh, using that, you know, pronoun, just saying, you know, well, what's your name? And just right. call and that person by their name. To- Yes, and let them tell you. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think there's nothing wrong with that. I think there's also, for me, I've had really great experiences with folks who just correct me, you know, and, right. you know, I haven't really had a lot of experience. I haven't had any experiences. Um, my daughters have in a lot of their online circles where folks will get really upset, you know, under gender assumption, but mm-hmm. there are still to me, just so many spaces, the same way that I do with race. And a lot of times in my, my writings, I write for a lot of, I think, really intentionally radical spaces. And um, sometimes, you know, people will show up in the comments, like coming for me, like really, really upset and really saying that I'm perpetuating something that isn't helpful. And then you will have 57,000 other people come through like, uh, here's why these things are separate. And here's why open-mindedness is going to be a better response than defensiveness, right? right. So like these conversations are so important because they allow us to see our own biases. They allow yeah. us to see exactly what you said in terms of the lack of choice that we had, especially with authoritarian parenting being very much more the norm, especially in our era, mindful parenting and stuff was like, what, what, what is that? You know, right. so <laughs> we just, there was a lot of stuff that was just downloaded and we accepted it. And as we kind of de-school ourselves and really start to um, hear the voice of, of what is true for us and see where that resonates and where that doesn't, it's really important to have that open-mindedness to say, you know what, for me, for Akila specifically, I choose absolutely to hold on to Blackness, specifically as it relates to culture and to take that with me where I go as a part of my identity, to have it to show up in my writing, which is a part of how I identify, um, and still have an absolute value and openness for humanity and love and you know that's showing up in in any person from any space you know being being open to both of those things being something that I can embrace and celebrate and not sacrifice one for the other that's freedom right that's what this country was supposedly built on is freedom you know and, and and freedom the individual's freedom you know some of my my friends I have a couple of friends that um you know, they, they would identify themselves in the political sense as being like um, libertarians. 
And their biggest mm-hmm. thing is freedom. And, they, and they, they have this term when they say the largest minority is the individual. You know, the largest minority is the individual. Mm-hmm. And, that, and it start, that literally yeah. has started hitting me in a different way over the last, literally over the last few days. Everything has been happening the last few days, right? But over the last <laughs> few days, you know, that whole, you know, saying has hit me differently. That the largest yeah. minority is the individual. Is the individual. And I feel yeah. like some of that is coming out in what you and I are saying in that, you know, we have to advocate for the individual and respect the exactly. freedom of the individual. And yep. I think that, starting that with if your we started there. Self, mm-hmm. Starting with your actual self and all the other ways that you perpetuate the opposite of that, you know, which is why for me, this focus on education and learning is so, so important right now in this social consciousness of focusing on the individual because it gives us an opportunity not just for, for us to do the work, but for us to groom individuals who have the time to be community-minded as well as um, really self-aware, you know, in ways that lend their best talents to all of these other things that solve problems in the world. All of those things are connected. Absolutely. And that's a great segue because we're about to get into your work and we're going to talk about education. But before we do, I want to break, I want to break for a quick promo. I want to tell uh, my listeners uh, how they can support uh, this show, this podcast. If you love this content, if you love these thoughtful conversations, uh, please consider becoming a patron of the show. Uh, My goal is to have an entirely user supported show. Uh, free of, <clears throat> excuse me, free of advertisements. Uh, so instead of going out and, and soliciting advertisements and then hitting you guys with several advertisements throughout the show, uh, I hope that as a community, we can rally together uh, to, to improve the show. Uh, for example, I'd like to get an editor, uh, maybe a producer uh, to come on and help with various elements to make the show more robust um, and, and just a more, um, you know, polished product. Um, so, by going to racehavenpodcast.com, if you click on become a patron, you can see how you can support the show for as little as $1 a month, and every contribution is meaningful. Every contribution helps, and it will just you know, continue to help this show grow and, and continue to flourish and get better. Uh, so with that being said, again, please visit racehavenpodcast.com and click on become a patron to go to my Patreon site um, and help Racehaven continue to develop. Uh, So with that being said, I wanted to uh, transition into uh, your work with unschooling, uh, with, you know, the Fair of the Free Child podcast, as well as uh, self-directed, the Alliance for Self-Directed Education. So if you can share with the listeners, you know, how did you uh, go down that path? And, and, and I'm, I'm mindful of the time as well. So you can tell me uh, when we're getting close to your, your limit, give me like a 10 minute heads up because I, I knew this would happen and we're going to have to do this again <laughs> sometime down the road. Cause me and you going to, we just sure. can go, but um, yeah. you know, I want to get into your work and you know, your work in education, because again, this is something that both of us are extremely passionate about and I'm going to make an assumption yeah. and I'm going to say it's because I believe that if we, again, educate individuals, if we, if, I'm sorry, I only want to say if we educate, if we literally provide the freedom <clears throat> for young people to grow into who they're designed to be uh, and respect, mm-hmm. them as, respect them as individuals and allow them to learn, uh, and if we simply incubate it instead of educating, you know, just create the, created the environment for them to grow through incubation, then a lot of the problems that we see in society, I think they would go away. And that's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about it. But I want you to jump into sharing with the listeners, you know, 
why you're passionate about education, specifically self-directed education, and then, um, you know, we can, we can go from there. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, it's like you said, you, you kind of were already talking about it. If we can really just incubate, I love that you say that incubate, not educate young people. Um, I am among the many, many, many people all across the planet um, in the middle of how it happens. So there's so many of us, it's showing up for some of us as edupreneurs, it's showing up for some of us as parents, um, it's showing for, up for some of us as caregivers in different capacities where we end up um, sometimes accidentally <laughs> um, and then other times really intentionally seeing how whole children actually are, seeing that they're actually trustworthy, seeing that they're never not learning, um, seeing that learning happens everywhere and that the work isn't to try to fill them with information, but to leave room for them to explore and embrace the different aspects of themselves and the world, not from a competitive space, but from a collaborative and creative space that um, they self-organize and they solve problems that really just kind of drive innovation far greater than our minds can even process. So for me, I feel like one of the many people who are intentional, who's intentionally contributing to that world by raising free people. And by doing so, one of the ways we do that is by giving them the space to learn. So by not creating a predefined set of curricula that says these are the things that you should learn in, by this time, um, or this is what time, how, how much time you should spend doing this thing per day. We don't go by subjects. We live and we learn and we ask questions and we observe and we use technology and we use human resources and we use community um, to learn and to evolve. And so um, for, for me, that's the work, you know, that's the life and the work. Why? Why did you go? Why did you go in this direction? Um, because my daughters required that shit. Can I say shit? Because yes, my daughters required that <laughs> shit. <laughs> they, um, we, Chris, my husband, my partner, Chris and I, we are raising two people who have just really challenged us beautifully and guided us towards this space of raising free people. We started out with um, our oldest daughter, Marley, being in elementary school. And after, towards the end of kindergarten, they started testing her. Um, and then after a series of tests, a lot of which we didn't even know about, turns out that she was labeled as gifted and talented and all of these different things. And they uh, put together a curriculum specifically for her um, that included bringing some teachers in from the high school and just really going all out in trying to meet where her needs were academically. Um, but at the expense of just her being a seven, eight-year-old kid, she was missing recess so that the teacher could come in and give her her advanced language arts at this time. Or she was getting us, you know, all of these different just typical aspects of her childhood were just being um, taken away with a focus on academics. And then um, shortly after when Sage entered. Um, well, can I stop you really quick? Test... I'm yeah. sorry. I want, I want to jump in right there and, and tease something out really quick because, you know, in a lot of conversations I have with parents uh, and I used to teach in public schools. I'm not sure if our listeners know that. And I know you used to teach in public school at some point as well. Right. 
No, I used to, um, the closest I did to that was when I worked for the Boys and Girls Clubs and I ran a middle school oh, okay. program in all 16 of the clubs. Yeah. Okay. So in my experience though, just again, within peer groups, et cetera, if my child, uh, hypothetically speaking, if my child was that child that they had to bring in all these adult resources from the high school to, you know, teach my kid language arts and reading, and they created a curriculum specifically for her and she was crushing it. My kid is winning. It seems like, you know, right. we've, we've been socialized <laughs> to think that our kid is winning and we're winning as parents and we're, we're, you know, putting a sticker on our bumper, totally. you know, letting everyone know that our kid is the most gifted mm-hmm. kid in the world. And, you know, we're, yeah. start, we're, we're applying for scholarships immediately, letting people know that, hey, our kid yep. is getting all this in the fifth, third, fourth, fifth grade. Like, that's typically yep. the route that parents would go if they had that talented and gifted child. But you chose to go another Definitely. route. And you know why, Scott? Because Chris and I, we were paying a lot of attention also to Marley, not just mm-hmm. to all of the things that were happening around Marley and her getting the good grades and all of these things. Um, Marley herself. She was wow, different. And I, I, I wrote about that. Yeah, I wrote about that a lot. Thankfully, uh, she and I actually read over that stuff a lot of the times, just kind of chronicling the process, which is really interesting. I an love, interesting experience I'm, to have. Oh, I got <laughs> to say this. I got to say this. I'm sorry. I know I keep cutting you off, but I have to say that I love <laughs> what you just said. You said we focused <laughs> on Marley. Yeah. We didn't focus yeah. on what the system said Marley needed. We focused on what Marley needed. We didn't focus on our ego. We didn't focus on the (laughs) fact that the system rewards us for, you know, rewards our ego and in other ways rewards us for a child that falls in that box of talented and gifted and all the things you express. You said we focused on Marley and what I've seen and what I experienced growing up is that, you know, parents will double down, get more tutors and, you know, have you taken, exactly. you know, advanced testing and double down and say, you know, again, it's worth being, it. It's being validated, right? Like everything yeah. around you, not just the school too. family is like, what? You're like putting the picture up, you know, nowadays it would be on Facebook and Instagram, you know, oh, look what's yes. happening here. You're winning, as you said. But we also knew that Marley went from being this really, really um, assertive girl who would be like, excuse me, why is this happening here? And if one person couldn't answer, she would go to the other person. Like everywhere we went, she knew people. I'm like, where did you meet? (laughs) You know, she was, she went from being like that to being really, really nervous about asking a question. And she would be so frustrated and she'd say, I have so many things in my brain and I don't know which one to pick. And (laughs) it's just so dramatic. And she was so frustrated with that. And we realized it's like, shit, I don't think she needs more stuff. I think she needs more space, yo. like, whoa. And that right. blew our minds because we're like, what the hell? Like, then how is she going to learn? Like, how is it going to happen? And then the same thing started happening with Sage and Sage is an introvert. So there was the peopling aspect. And so it felt like everything was crushing in and it became very difficult for us to continue to avoid the reality that we just think they needed space for a little bit, you know? So we're like, we're going to try it for a little bit. We're going to take them out of school. And mm-hmm. we were, we had some family members in Jamaica that we could stay with for six weeks. Uh, so that's how we could afford to, <laughs> to be there. And we found right. some cheap tickets. So we took the bus to Florida and then flew from there, found some cheap tickets. Um, 
did a couple of days at an all-inclusive, and then we still enrolled them in the Georgia Virtual Academy because we were still like, "Uh, they still got to learn, and we didn't understand learning fully. But then Uh after, they were like, we're not bringing our books to the beach. We're not doing it. And we're like, okay, let's just leave it alone then and see. And then we realized all of the ways they were learning. We're like, oh, okay, so this, (laughs) oh, shit. They don't even need this stuff. Like, we, we could simulate all day long, or we can just facilitate and point shit out and, you know, talk about, you know, talk about things and encourage, you know, strewing is unschooling, what they call it, where you just put different resources around the house to introduce them to things or bring up a topic, sit down, be with them in their space. I mean, it's infinite how much you learn and grow together as a result of just doing that. That's powerful. So you, basically, you 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 had the aha moment that we're born to learn, and learning is everywhere, every day, in <laughs> every way, and it doesn't just take place in the schoolhouse. Exactly, exactly. All of that, everything that you just said, <laughs> and we also got literal examples of it over and over and over again. And I know you've heard me tell the story of like language, how both of my daughters speak multiple languages just on their own because they were just interested in the tiniest little thing that led them down a road, you know, and I use language because to me, that's so daunting. I've been trying to learn Spanish for 5,000 years (laughs) and here, you know, and here they are just completely curiosity driven, just pick Mm -hmm. these different things up, you know? That's the thing I love about self-directed education is that there's no one telling you what's valuable in terms of what, what you should learn and when you should learn it, how much time you should spend learning, spend on learning it. Exactly. And, and like, as if certain learning is not as valuable as other learning, that's the most foolish, you know, paradigm that I've ever heard. And that the whole idea that, you know, all learning can fit within, you know, five, a handful (laughs) of subjects and that these, this vast array of many other, you know, subject uh, threads and, 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 just just areas, you know, and, and genres and et cetera of yes. what it means to be in this world. I mean, imagine the, pos- the thing that gets me excited and why I do this work and why I'm excited uh, to, to start my learning uh, uh, space called Grow for our listeners um, is that I know that through this movement, like you said, there's thousands and millions of us out here uh, as we continue mm-hmm. to push to make this more mainstream, to allow more, to free more children to learn I mean, the possi- like you said, the possibilities are infinite. You know, we don't know yep. what, a, what a child may want to spend their time diving into, whether it be a language, whether it be to learn to build something, whether it be learn to create something, whether it be learn to entertain people. And if they were given the freedom to spend as much time as they wanted to master and perfect that from whatever age they decide <laughs> to go into that direction, I mean, the possibilities yeah. are endless. I'm talking about, exactly. again, a lot of the, the, the problems. Oh, absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Like, not even just for that person, but collaboratively as well, because the intergenerational component is one of the biggest, to me, one of the biggest losses and biggest issues um, about school is that, is the fact that it's just this idea that, okay, the oldest person in the room is going to transmit the information and they're not going to be that old, probably, and that's it. So if, uh, if they're 22-year-olds who would probably work really great with a seven-year-old because they're both interested in anime and can right. go down all these aspects of culture and history and geography and economics through this world of cartoons, not cartoons, but animations and drawings, mm-hmm. but they're not together because the, you know, because school system is limiting that or an elder, a 70-year-old who could be talking to high schoolers 
you know, about all of these aspects of something that happened in history. These things aren't happening. And, right. and we're not self-organizing and we don't know what we don't know the businesses in our communities because we're just taking the bus to school and we're sitting in the classroom limiting ourselves and limiting the resources around us. And it's not it, it never worked. That should never work. But it really doesn't work now because of yeah. technology and the things that we need. Yeah, it's madness. It's been madness. It's- it's extreme madness. They're like you said. They're they're warehousing you know young people away. They're putting them in the yep. system. Puts them in batches based on their age, and it just totally fragments you know uh, people from their community and from like you said all these you know diverse potential relationships, et cetera. And it's it's yes. dam- it's it's damaged society in ways that a lot of people maybe can't see. Um, and it and 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 thankfully you know people like you. And others are doing something, you know, um, to, to, to spread this awareness uh, about these possibilities. And because I think about, you know, when you talked about the different relationships across the ages, I also think about, you know, when you talk about um, some of the issues that perpetuate in certain communities, especially uh, communities in, in the low, lower socioeconomic range, you know, if, if young people were able to organize around, you know, there's young people that care about that, but yet they have to be distracted by going to school and taking a class. And a lot of times in something they're not interested in at all, they have to spend hours exactly. and hours and years and years being warehoused away when they could actually be using that time to solve problems right in their home and oh their community. Goodness. That time yes. and the, so learn, and the learning. School is in the way. School is in yeah. the way. Of school the is in the way. Yeah, because they're already organizing it. You know, you can't, you know, you can't run away from yourself. There's this saying, right? Like wherever you go, there you are. In many right. instances, it is not even about exposure. It's just about the time that they, they don't have to really mm-hmm. dive into the work, to get to the point of excellence, to get to the point of creative expression that can't happen unless you're fully immersed in a thing. You know, I mean, we, we see that all the time with artists. We see that when we talk about things like, what is it, the 100,000 hours or 10,000 hour rule or whatever yes. it is of beating yes. on your craft. Like, imagine if you didn't start that when you were 20 something. Imagine if you were seven when right. that started. You, you know, there, wow. there are some of us who, including some of us who are part of the, the Alliance um, for Self-Directed Education, which I definitely want to chat a little bit about um, and invite your listeners to also check out that. We, we want to normalize self-directed education because we want people to understand exactly what you said before, Scott, that not just to understand it, to explore the different ways that learning happens organically. Like mm-hmm. learning is a human thing. It's not an adult thing. It's not an education thing. It's not a class thing. It's a human thing. Absolutely. So why, so fair the free child and then self-directed education of the Alliance, you can finish up with those two things. I want you to share with our listeners very briefly uh, in respect to your time, why fair the free child podcast. So we know about your background and how your daughters let you down this, this path. And then you started the fair the free child podcast. Why, and why specifically did you choose to focus on, um, you know, what you say people of color or black and brown people? Yeah. Um, so there's also, there's um, a specific episode, the first episode, it's akilasrichards.com forward slash welcome, that speaks to this in detail. It speaks specifically to why the podcast, um, and essentially, it absolutely, as you said, Scott, centers people of color in self-directed education, 
because so many of us had that same feeling. You know how you said when you found out about me and my work, and you're like, oh my God, I'm not on an island by myself. So many of us have that feeling so much. So we realize that the um, pervasive whiteness in the self-directed education space was actually stopping us from finding each other and connecting with each other. So I wanted to create a space that would allow for that to happen. So one, we would own our stories. There would be nobody reporting on the stories of people of color in self-directed education or personal narratives. And also for us to know that each other exists and where we are so that we can build, you know, we can build together. Um, So that's one of the things. Yeah. And then one of the wonderful side effects (laughs) of the podcast has very much been that a lot of these spaces, the self-directed education spaces, the the entrepreneurs uh, that started spaces are frustrated with the, the pervasive whiteness in their spaces and don't know how to reach communities of color in SDE. So the podcast has really been opening up a lot of grounds for communication and understanding and connection among those two communities. So I'm really, really happy about that as well. Uh, that's <laughs> awesome. That is awesome. And it's yes. a great podcast. And I'll put the link in the show notes. I love, love, love listening to it. I love hearing those conversations. Again, it provides perspective. It, it provides context, especially for people. And what I've learned, Akila, in my work with Race Haven mm-hmm. and how I try to bring diverse groups together is I can't tell you how many times I've had um, European uh, people come to me and say, I just never knew. I never heard that conversation. I never knew that those mm-hmm. those those nuances existed for you know, African people or Latino people or native indigenous people, et cetera. And I'm glad that, you know, and, 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 and that's one of the, the ills of, of the system of white supremacism is that, you know, unintentionally, a lot of people of European descent, you know, they, they've been othered, they've been othered in a different way. So they, you know, there's a, there's a disconnect, um, you know, amongst people. And, and I'm glad, and because they, you know, the population and, the fact that they are the larger, you know, population, a lot of them only live around people mm-hmm. like them, except all these various factors, all these, the way that, again, the way that history is unfolded, especially in this country, you know, there's very, you know, well-meaning, well-meaning people that truly want to understand and get to know uh, different experiences. And, and I'm, I'm glad that you mm-hmm. provide that platform uh, for them to do it. And then also as an African-American person, you know, I love hearing, you know, African-American people speak about this work and this space from, from our perspective as well. It's, it's, it's chicken soup for my soul. But okay, so please continue, <laughs> continue with uh, what else yeah. you want to share. Yes, yes, yes. And, um, and the last thing, and maybe this is a good segue, is that I also love that the podcast speaks to not just the sameness, but also the diversity of folks of color in self-directed education and in the world, because we're vast and varied where, you know, we have people from different countries who are a part of the podcast and the movement. We have, um, you know, folks who like white folks who adopted black folks or other children of color who are a part of the movement. So it's really varied. And I, that diversity of voice is really important to me, which is a part of why I'm so happy to be a part of these um, Alliance for Self-Directed Education, because it is about normalizing self-directed education for anybody who wants it. And we are an alliance and not just not a group, but an alliance because the varied voices are a part of what make it so important. There, there isn't this one homogenous underpinning except children, trust children and trust learning and make room for what that might look like in your community. You know, so 
really excited about that space as well. And you talked at the beginning about, um, you know, having a place that can articulate or help you articulate what the movement is and why self-directed education is such a vital part of our liberation as human beings right now. The, this Our site, selfdirected.org, is really going to open up. It already is, but as it continues to build out, we really are trying to create a space where all of the resources you need to understand and express and begin um, or go further in the SDE process can be facilitated through the work here. Fascinating, fascinating, amazing. I'm so happy that they found you and you found them and that <laughs> you are you are doing this work. Um, I'm happy to be a part of it. I'm happy, like I didn't know anything about any of this stuff a few months ago, you know, until I happened to be seen by Miss Leslie Bray. And I li- I've literally been <laughs> thinking about Leslie. this stuff since like, you know, I, I started learning when I started learning about self-directed education in the form of unschooling and democratic education and free schools. When I learned about that mm-hmm. stuff it, for the first time, it was probably about 2008, 2009. And it's just been and it's, it's just been amazing. And then I started reading Alfie Cohn and I started reading Sir Kim Robinson and watching their videos. Mm-hmm. And, and it just it just all just made so much sense to me. But again, yeah. it's, it's, when I speak to some people about it, it's like speak, I'm speaking uh, in a way that they can accept and they, they don't understand. And it just felt lonely. But I still wanted to, you know, push forward and bring my vision to life. Yeah. And I'm so encouraged because now, as you stated earlier in the show, I've been able to link up and join these alliances. I've been able to link up with you. I've been able to link up with Leslie. I've been able to link up with Heartwood uh, ALC, Agile Learning Center, and ultimately become yeah. a member of the Agile Learning Center network so that GROW can yeah. now be a part of a network. Yeah. And we are not on an island. Um, you know, we're not on an island and people can see that this is, yeah. I, and I love the idea of it being an alliance instead of a group. I never thought of it that exactly. way. Exactly. Because the alliance Yeah, says, that was really important to me because I, it was mm-hmm. very, the process was very rigorous for me mm-hmm. to, to join because, again, because I didn't want my voice to be uh, meshed in with something else. The ah, uniqueness is important. Yeah, and I, and I definitely, all of us get the space to do that. And then we also learn so much from each other. It's a really rich space. And I think it's a microcosm of, what we want to see um, for young people as they go about the world, for all people, really. Yeah. That's, that's so amazing. So, wow. Well, that's our time for today. Man, I'm sure we'll do this again uh, in the future. And, totally, you know, totally. and, and even if we don't do it online, we will be talking offline because we have work to do. So, um, yes, with both. I'm good with both. We could do all of the above. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So again, a special thank you to Ms. Akila S. Riches for joining us. I hope that uh, you all, the listeners, got as much from this conversation as I did. You know, I just feel like a million bucks every time I speak to or listen to this woman <laughs> speak. Um, Akila, tell our listeners how they can best connect with you and your work. Yes. Um, AkilaSRichards.com. That will link to the podcast, uh, my books, essays, all that good stuff, AkilaSRichards.com. And I'm also on Instagram as Radical Selfie. I love that name too, by the way. I forgot. I, want, I, I didn't get a chance to, to say that. Um, there's some other Thank things I didn't, we didn't get a chance to get into, but I'm going to make notes so that we can get into that um, you know, next time. So thank you okay. for your time. You have a great day. I'm going to go ahead and close out the show with some uh, closing statements for the listeners, but I appreciate you and we will talk soon.
Latif, thank you. That was so much fun. Looking forward to it again, Scott. Awesome. Peace. So for our listeners, again, thank you for listening to today's show. Uh, please, please, please be sure to subscribe to the Race Haven podcast on the iPhone uh, podcast app and or the Stitcher radio app for Android, as well as on the web, um, so that you never miss the dialogue. And if you love this show, please leave us a review on either of these platforms. Your reviews will help us gain more visibility and more listeners. And we also want to hear from you. If you love today's show, drop us a note at solutions at racehavenpodcast.com, or you can drop us a note or comment at our Facebook page, which is Racehaven. You can find us at Racehaven Podcast. Uh, you can, you know, comment on today's show. You can drop a note to tell us what you thought. You can inbox me to leave a message. I want to hear from you, uh, as well as I can share any messages you may have for Akila there as well. Uh, or you can reach out to her directly through the information she gave you. And I'll also include that in the show notes. So you can also join our Race Haven Community Dialogue Facebook group. Uh, again, if you search on Facebook for Race Haven Community Dialogue, uh, that's a Facebook group where a lot of diverse and interesting and challenging uh, conversations are happening daily. Um, and you'll learn a lot and grow a lot and you'll get frustrated, but it's all for the greater good. Also, I want to close out by sharing with you all the mission statement for Race Haven. A race haven is a safe place for people from diverse ethnic, religious, cultural, and political backgrounds to bring their race-based perspectives, questions, assumptions, frustrations, and experiences to engage in thoughtful, honest dialogue in an effort to transcend race and unify America. Remember, we are all smarter when we think together. Peace. It's Memorial Day. It's time to get out of town and get on the water. This summer, gear up for the fish, the food, and the family. Cabela's Memorial Day Sale. Family events, amazing deals. Your one stop before the campfire. Save $200 on Champion Patriot Generators. $100 on Select Kayaks. And get Cabela's Adult and Youth Deluxe Flotation Vests for just $9.99. Plus, come in and celebrate our hometown heroes event. See store for details. Shop in-store and online at cabelas.com.